There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name's Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lent Podcast. LG this week pulled the plug on its mobile phone business after a number of loss-making years and a failure to find a buyer to offload it to. Was it deserved and what does it mean for the mobile phone industry? Pocketlint editor Chris Hall joins me to discuss the announcement and perhaps reminisce about some of the company's greatest handsets over the years. Meanwhile, I talked to the founder and CEO of Whoop, a company that makes a fitness tracker that encourages you to stay, yes, stay on the sofa. And Pocketlint's Britta O'Boyle is here to talk about how she's been getting on with the new Sonos Roam Bluetooth speaker. Does it sound good and is it time to get one? But first, back to you, Chris. What's happened with LG and why now? Well, the why now question is probably the best place to start because nobody really knows why now. Um, (laughs) The writing had been on the wall for some time. Uh, LG hadn't been shifting a lot of phones. They had actually been uh, listing quite large losses against their uh, mobile phone division. There had been lots of rumours about this uh, closure coming down the line ever since about January of this year, um, with, with even some announcements previous to that saying that they would have third-party companies manufacturing their phones instead of doing it themselves. So I don't think it was anything of a surprise, but the company chose Easter Monday to drop the announcement. And isn't that oh, a great good. time to ditch your uh, your smartphone division? Yeah. So what does this, so what does this then mean for for the industry? Well, I suspect that on one hand, it doesn't mean much for the industry because LG's impact had been in decline for quite some time. We've been talking about smartphones dividing into these two strands. And on one side, you've got the Apple iPhone. And on the other side, you have Samsung. And then there's a gap in the middle that is full of lots and lots of different companies making lots of very similar phones. In recent years, we've kind of seen this huge swing over to Chinese brands, and we've seen the rise of Huawei, who have been absolutely huge. Now they have started to take a little bit of a plunge, and we've seen some other brands popping up like Xiaomi, and uh, companies like Oppo are starting to rise, Vivo, all sorts of different mm. you know companies coming in there. So I think from, from, from one perspective, it doesn't really mean very much. LG is still still quite a significant force in electronics though and you'll you'll notice that a lot of the successful companies are using using LG components within their devices LG batteries LG displays and so on so there's still going to be some LG electronics that are going into some of these devices but they're just not going to be forming them into phones and putting those out there and I suppose for LG's perspective, as you said, they've got the very successful TV business. You know, they they make a lot of other products beyond phones. So it's it's kind of shutting a division rather than the whole company going bust, as we've seen from, you know, the likes of, you know, BlackBerry or Nokia previously before they were resurrected as something else. 
Yeah, I think it's that. That's it, really. LG has a lot in the consumer electronics and white goods division. You've got to remember they have a lot of intelligent appliances, washing machines, fridges, TVs are, are huge for them, as well as the sort of components that we touched on earlier. In that sense, they they are similar in a way to Samsung, who is in a similar position manufacturing so many different components that go into so many different products that they offer in their ecosystem. It's certainly not the end of LG. Uh, you just have to walk down the street and see an air conditioning unit stuck on the outside of a building, and it's almost always mm. an LG unit. So I think they're still we're still going to have a lot of market presence from LG. It's just they have stepped away from phones. And in some way, that's a shame because if you go back to 2006, well, I think it was with the LG Chocolate, and some of the devices that followed that, there was a lot that was really exciting about LG design and some of the things that they were doing. But in the last few years, that seems to have that seems to have just dropped away slightly, and they became rather more predictable and unexciting. And unfortunately, that's reflected in sales. And I suppose there was also that tendency and a concern with LG with their phones that the 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 mass market devices weren't that exciting and so therefore weren't competitive against the likes of of the xiaomi's and and the oppos of this world but then they kind of it felt that they went a bit crazy with like the wing and the flex and the you know different and the the phone that had two screens and you know kind of the niche products were a bit out there as well yeah it sort of looked like they were wiggling around trying to find something a little bit different that would catch on um, I'm I'm kind of surprised that they they didn't go all the way into having uh, early folding phones. But whenever I think about the LG G Flex that you mentioned, that is the sort of start down this path towards folding phones because the Flex wasn't a folding phone, but you could actually bend it, you could manipulate the shape. And what LG was really showing off was that the the display panel in it is plastic OLED. You know, it's printed on a plastic sheet. So if you bend it, it doesn't necessarily matter because you're not going to destroy it. Whereas some other phones, if you bent them and twist them in the same way, then they would have just shattered and that would have been that. Um, so, th- so there were, were these sort of signs that there was some very advanced thinking going on. But yeah, more recently, the the showcase, I mean, the wing is, is interesting from from one perspective having two screens the swivel display and stuff like that but it's very difficult to see how you may actually use it and then they've also been showing off a rolling sort of phone concept over the past few years very similar to the completely flat tv panels that they have on the rolling tv that they also offer and i think that that was really just lg display showing off what it could do i don't think it really got to the point where LG smartphones were going to actually produce this thing and say, yes, this is a viable product that you need to buy now. So if you could go back in time and relive your time with an LG handset, what would the handset be that you'd pick to use? I've had the whole week reminiscing about the LG phones that I've enjoyed. The one based around our current experiences with smartphones, I would probably go back to the LG G4, which... I think came in came out in about 2015. This model particularly was available with a leather back to it, which was quite exciting at the time because nobody else had done that. Now it's it's pretty common. There have been all sorts of special editions of other people's phones that did this, but LG offered it um, quite a few years ago, and that was a great phone overall. It, it did a lot of things very well. I remember going to the launch of it, um, and they showed it off, and it had a it, they put a laser 
um, auto a laser on there to to support the auto focusing on the camera and stuff, and everything felt really advanced, and it really felt as though it was going somewhere. The year after that, uh, I went to Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. Uh, 2016, and they showed off the LG G5, which was like an evolution of that. But this is where they tried to make it modular, saying here's a bit that you can clip onto the bottom that will yeah. boost the sound quality and stuff like that. And you, you just sort of picked up and looked at it and thought, why aren't all these things already built into the phone? Who's going to spend that money on a phone and then spend all this extra money on these accessories? It makes no sense at all. And that point was where it kind of peaked and then sort of dropped off fairly quickly i think and so the final question really from you is do you think obviously lg is now out of the phone business they've said they're going to support um those that have bought a phone for uh, i think three years isn't it um you know but they're obviously not making any more phones they're effectively pulling out the market do you think that's the that's it for this year or do you think this is a the start of something bigger and that we'll see other companies pulling out over the next year or two there's been a lot of talk about Sony Mobile and their Xperia range of handsets, and I don't want to sit here and say that they're not doing well, but they obviously haven't been making vast amounts of money. They haven't been shifting a lot of units in the same way that Samsung has. And it's difficult to see how they're going to claw back the sort of market share that they probably need to be really, really competitive. And that's the th- that's the thing about this. It's, it's a business decision, and it's all about money. It's not necessarily about whether your product is good or bad in some cases it's just about whether your your devices are deemed to be good or bad and a lot of that comes down to fashion and trends so so yeah we've seen LG decline Sony perhaps is one of the one of the shrinking parts of the business Sony's phones aren't bad but people don't seem to be buying them still to come Britta gives us her verdict on the new Sonos Roam Bluetooth speaker we tried the Eagles Hotel California, uh, Massive Attacks Teardrop, Pink Floyd's Time, um, Laura Marling's Soothing were all a few that we listened to. Um, the acoustics are really great. They, they sound they're quite clear, very clear. You can really hear vocals really well. Whoop describes itself as a 24-7 fitness tracker and health monitor that provides coaching so users can balance their daily lives, train optimally and unlock the secrets of their body's true potential. Already worn by a number of global sports stars including LeBron James, Owen Farrell, Michael Phelps, Andy Murray and Rory McIlroy, the company is now looking beyond the professional athlete and to the consumer for its growth. But with a focus that understands resting is as good as exercise and a subscription model instead of a one-off payment, it's not your average offering. I recently caught up with Will Ahmed, the founder and CEO of the company, to find out more. And I started by asking him how his company is living up to the company's mantra of unlocking human performance. Generally, we believe that every individual has an inner potential that you can tap into if you can better understand their bodies. And so the way that WHOOP is unlocking human performance is by identifying potential. And that often comes in the form of measuring things like sleep and recovery and strain, uh, you know, sleep being how much, how many hours of quality sleep you got, what sorts of things you can tweak or change about it. I'm sure that'll be a relevant topic for your audience. Recovery being really how prepared is your body to take on strain. So every morning you wake up with a recovery score on WHOOP that's 0 to 100% red, yellow, green. Uh, Is your body peaking or is it run down? Should you take on a lot of strain today, whether that's stress, whether that's exercise? 
uh, or should you rest? I mean, Whoop is the first fitness product to tell you not to exercise, in fact, uh, but to do mm. nothing. Uh, and then over the course of the day, Whoop will automatically detect activities that you do, the strain that builds on your body. And at the end of the day, we'll look at that strain and we'll look at who you are and we'll even tell you how much sleep you need for tonight to recover for tomorrow. So in a lot of ways, the, the daily cycle of Whoop is to live a step ahead of you. And then over the course of weeks or months, Whoop is giving you feedback on lifestyle decisions, training decisions, behaviors uh, that may or may not be helping your body. So that could be a, a new diet that you're trying. That could be alcohol consumption. It could be supplements. It could be meditation, right. uh, relationships, a whole variety of things to help you figure out what's right for you. Do you, a lot of if you look at a lot of fitness trackers, whether it's Fitbit or Apple Watch or or anybody else, kind of focus on this idea of of encouraging you to work out, encouraging you to hit those daily rings, to keep going, and not necessarily to have. A rest day not really understanding as you said that yesterday you ran a marathon and so today we're tough you've got to get on and do it again do you think that's the wrong way about going the wrong way to do it and that really you do need that rest and you do need that recovery and therefore measuring and advising for that absolutely the whole premise of whoop is is based on this notion that people need balance in their lives I got into the space personally because I was a college athlete who used to overtrain, which is effectively where you're pushing your body and you get fitter and fitter and fitter. And then all of a sudden you fall off a cliff and you don't know why. Right. And through doing a lot of physiology research, I realized that was because I wasn't resting and recovering. I just assumed that if I put in the work, if I put in exercise, I would just get fitter. It didn't really matter what I did after that. But in fact, the other 20 hours of the day or 22 hours of the day, matters a lot more than what you did when you were exercising. And for executives listening to this, the biggest gap for them is most likely around sleep. You know, if you ask someone, how much sleep did you get last night? And they don't measure their sleep. They'll say, okay, well, I went to bed at 11 and I woke up at six. So I got seven hours of sleep. Well, no, actually you spent seven hours in bed. Right. And within that seven hours, you spent time awake. You spent time in light sleep. You spent time in slow wave sleep and you spent time in REM sleep. And in fact, REM and slow wave sleep are the periods where all the magic happens. Light and awake are pretty much irrelevant. Uh, you know, REM sleep for your audiences is when your body is repairing cognitively. So if you want to, you know, perform at a high level mentally, you need to be getting REM sleep. That's when you're in like a deep dreaming state. Right. So people who say, I can't remember my dreams last night, or I don't think I had any dreams, they might not be getting enough REM sleep. Slow wave sleep, that's when your body produces about 95% of its human growth hormone. So, you know, people think they get stronger in the gym. They're actually breaking their muscles down in the gym. They get stronger during slow wave sleep when they're repairing their bodies. And what you can tell is that REM and slow wave sleep are really, really important, right? And right. let's go back to that person who spends seven hours in bed. That person may have gotten 30 minutes total of REM and slow wave sleep, or they may have gotten five and a half hours total of REM and slow wave sleep. And mind you, the person who got 30 minutes versus the person who got five and a half hours is a completely different person. I mean, the guy who's getting that much more REM and slow wave is happier, more productive, performing at a much better level. Uh, it, it, everything is better for that person. And so that's where I would really encourage people, if nothing else, to learn more about their sleep because it doesn't need to be this black box. It doesn't need to be a forgotten third of your life. 
And if you can really figure out what are those few things you can tweak so that the time you spend in bed, you're getting more REM and slow wave sleep, that's going to unlock a whole lot of potential in itself. And so to within the service, do you offer that, that, that insight? Because a lot of sleep trackers are out there and they kind of go, guess what? You didn't get a good night's sleep last night. And you're like, well, I kind of know that I didn't get a good night's sleep or, you know, what do I do about it? And then people start getting stressed because they then can't do anything. You know, they, they know that they're not getting a good night's sleep, but they're not sure how to go about getting a good night's sleep. Yeah, Whoopa is really designed to be this 24-7 life coach. So a lot of what we do is provide feedback on sleep and uh, helping people understand how they can sleep more consistently, helping people understand the, the decisions that they make leading up to bedtime, whether that's when they eat. So for example, if you eat within three hours of sleeping, that often negatively impacts your sleep. Most people's bedrooms are too warm, colder bedrooms better. Um, air quality is important, uh, your mental state before bed, whether you're using a screen and in, in your bed, uh, right. you know, like an iPad or an iPhone. Um, those are the types of things that whoop asks you little questions about and, uh, supplements. So melatonin, magnesium, other sleep substances. Uh, and, and what happens is whoop will then give you feedback on which of those things are improving your sleep or not. So one of the things that was interesting, maybe this has come from your your background as well, is that when you started Whoop, it seemed to be very much more targeted at professional athletes and teams to wear the technology rather than the consumer space, which you look like you're now kind of starting to enter in. How receptive were teams and, and athletes to the idea of of wearing a you know a tracker that allowed you know your technology? Well, fortunately, they were very receptive. And we started with that market because we believed that market needed it the most. You know, if you're going to get paid 10 or $20 million a year based on your performance or based on how well your body is able to perform every single day at an athletic level, it would seem pretty fundamental that you need to measure sleep and recovery. And that turned out to be true. I mean, two of our first hundred users were people like LeBron James and Michael Phelps. So long before anyone had ever heard of Whoop, let alone wear it. We had some of the best athletes in the world using it. Now, years later, you know, I think if you meet a professional athlete and they're wearing a wearable, there's probably a 95% chance it's whoop. I mean, we've pretty much cornered that entire market, I, th I can say confidently. Um, and, and for good reason, like sleep and recovery is pretty fundamental for, for someone whose whole livelihood is based on sure. um, their, their, their performance in a game or an event. And so do you see the offering changing as you kind of, as your demographic becomes not so necessarily focused on becoming an elite sports person, do you know, how trickle down do you see that technology going? Well, today our, our audience is almost entirely recreational everyday people. I think what holds our audience together, whether you're the best athletes in the world or whether you're, uh, an executive or doctor or cop or fireman or, uh, you know, executive who's on whoop is, uh, is that it's an audience that is motivated in one way or another, you know, that could be, you're motivated to lose weight. You're motivated to get fitter. You're motivated to sleep better. You're motivated because you want to get a promotion or you want to ace a test. Right. Uh, so you do need to have some level, I think of, of desire to be coached. Right. Uh, I don't know that whoop today is for the guy who's lying on the couch and never wants to get <laughs> off the couch, but 
for for the person who is motivated in one way or another in their life, uh, Whoop can really help you. I think dial it up or down. Now, for a long time, you've obviously had a subscription based model rather than a one off price. That you know, if if for example, if I buy an Apple Watch, I bought an Apple Watch, I start getting into tracking and and things like that, and then they've only just started cottoning on to the idea of, of Fitness Plus to be able to kind of encourage you to do more. You've always had a subscription model. Why have you gone down that route rather than just buying the loop band and and thanks very much and not coming back to it again? It's a good question. You know, so Whoop is a subscription where you can pay anywhere from $18 to $30 a month. And effectively, everything's included with it, even our hardware. You get the hardware for free. And the reason for that is we don't view improving your health as a one-time thing. We view it as something that is an ongoing evolution. Uh, For example, there's women who have been on Whoop who at one point were training for a marathon. At another point, they were pregnant. At another point, they had had a newborn right? Mm -hmm. Like each one of those stages is a very different stage in someone's life. And pretty much everyone when it comes to health is, is evolving. And, uh, and so we believe that our product, our service needed to evolve with our customers. And we also needed to put that pressure on ourselves as a business. If we don't evolve, you should cancel, right? If you're not getting value every day, every week, every month from your whoop experience, you should cancel. And so I think that level of accountability uh, and really transparency between the customer and between the business has been incredibly healthy for both parties. And a lot of people talk about quantified self, you know, that uh, idea that now we've got more data about us than we've ever had access to before. Where do you see the industry going as a whole, not necessarily specifically Whoop, but, you know, is it just about getting more and more data about people or is there something more insightful down the line? Yeah, the the problem with this expression quantified self is it sort of implies that more numbers equals more insights. And those are two different things. You know, uh, I think a lot of wearables that have come and gone didn't do a great job telling you the one, two or three things that you needed to know. Sure. And a page with 20 numbers on it is worse than a page with one, one, one number on it, right? Like, what's the most important thing I need to know? And so... I think the most important thing when you collect a lot of data and Whoop collects the most data of any wearable on the market. So we're, we're coming from a fairly authentic point of view on this. The important thing when you collect a lot of data is that you're able to synthesize it into a few simple insights. And I think where the whole market goes over time, especially Whoop, is to make sure those insights are incredibly powerful and, and pretty life-changing. And, you know, what today is, an insight around how to sleep better tomorrow could be go see your doctor. And do you think that's where it will, will kind of go to the be ability to sort of track when you're likely to be getting to a point where you're not feeling very well, but Whoop tells you before that happens? Absolutely. I mean, we already did that in the last 12 months with COVID-19, right? Uh, we were able to publish research by the summer uh, that showed that an elevated respiratory rate could be a predictor of COVID-19. And as a consequence, we've had thousands and thousands of WHOOP members use an elevated respiratory rate as a leading indicator for them to go get tested. So that, that was one specific example. But uh, I think that's, that's the power of wearable technology is that it can revolutionize uh, the healthcare system. And 
and move a lot of things from being curative costs, which are expensive and inefficient, to being preventative costs. I suppose the final question I have, which is a bit of a, a whimsical aside, is is why Whoop? The where name does the Whoop? name come? Where does the name come from? Well, Whoop is a name that makes you smile and you don't forget. So that's a very good starting point. <laughs> it, it happened to be a word in college that my friends and I would say as, as sort of an expression of energy or excitement. So people would say, uh, you know, how you feeling for the game? Oh, I got whoop. I feel good. Yeah. So it was sort of this, yeah, it was a, it was a, uh, an expression of energy. And, uh, and again, it, it makes people smile. A Bluetooth speaker by day, Sonos speaker by night or vice versa. If that takes your fancy, the Sonos Roam is the company's second stab at a portable speaker. But with a higher price tag than your average Bluetooth speaker should be, should you buy the new portable speaker from the company that basically invented multi-room audio? The good news, this is the good news, is that PocketLint's Brito Boil has been testing one and is here to tell us what it sounds like and just how easy it is to use. So, Brito, let's start with the important question. How good does it sound? It sounds amazing for its size, um, actually. the You wouldn't think it because it's actually really quite small. The It's probably about smaller, I'd say smaller than a water bottle, like really easy to carry around. But the sound that it manages to pump out from that is actually incredible, really. Um, could feel, easily fills a big room and a garden. I mean, if you've got a huge garden, then you might not, you might need a couple. But in a, in a reasonable size garden, then it's more than capable of achieving what you want and so just to give us an idea of 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 that from a sound perspective you were listening to like korean brit pop like pop (laughs) were you listening to you know classical music what kind of you know we know that sometimes you know certain speaker companies or headphone companies kind of like target their audience with what they think you know beats for example is always really bassy yeah so what is the sound what is it, you know, what's, what did you listen to? and What did it really do well on? So we listened to a range of tracks from um, various different artists and bands. Um, I got a few from Pocket Lint's team um, that they like to see um, how it coped with various different sort of tastes. Um, we tried the Eagles Hotel California, uh, nice. Massive Attack's Teardrop, Pink Floyd's Time, um, Laura Marling's Soothing were all a few that we listen to um the acoustics are really great they they sound they're quite clear very clear you can really hear vocals really well um is a tad on the bassy side but to be honest most sonor speakers are and you Mm. can adjust that in the um you can adjust the equalizer settings in the app so actually if you don't really like bassy then you can reduce that um so now one of the things is that obviously you go home you buy this you put it in your system it just hooks up with everything else, I presume. Yeah, so it's actually really, really easy to set up. A lot easier than any of the other Sonos um, speakers. Not that they're particularly difficult, but this one <laughs> no. is incredibly easy. Um, you literally, it will find it. It uses the microphone to play a um, tune or a sound, and then your phone picks it up, and then it pairs, or you use the pin on the bottom of the speaker that um, if you don't want to use the microphone. But the microphone's really easy, so you might as well use it that way. And then it will pair with the rest of your Sonos system, but it will switch automatically between Wi-Fi and Bluetooth as you move in and out of your home. Okay, so we know that it sounds great. That's fantastic. How do you actually go about using it? How does it know whether it's in in your network or not? How does, how does that bit work? Well, presumably it figures out what, 
using your phone whether you're on your wi-fi network and if when you're not it will then move over to the bluetooth sort of settings and then you and then i've controlled it through the speaker itself um with the the controls are on the top or on the side depending on which orientation you have it and then you just press plus or minus for volume control but they there's a really cool feature on it that's called sound swap that allows you to if you were then to move back into your house for example um and you have other sonar speakers you press and hold the play pause button and it will um essentially cast the music over to the nearest sonar speaker and it picks it up using ultrasonic frequencies um not all of the sonar speakers are compatible so the older older ones like play three then it's not because it doesn't have the processing power Mm. but most of the others are so if you've got like a sonos one in your kitchen or play five in your living room or whatever it will find whatever one's closest and send that music the music from rome directly to that speaker so you can carry on this thing inside and how have you found you know a lot of times you buy things like this and you think oh yeah it's gonna be really great and i'll be portable and all the other stuff and then it just sits on the kitchen counter and it doesn't really move. Have you found that additional portability, mainly because it's battery powered? Because they had the move before, didn't they? But that you still had to plug that thing in. So yeah, you still had to plug it in. It's also not very light. So actually, if you want to take it outside, you can. But then you probably wouldn't be carrying it around everywhere with you because it's three kilos. So definitely a lot heavier than than Rome is because this one's and, only like. And so, have you found the portability of of the Rome like? Have you found that? Uh, are you walking it around the house or taking it out with you if you've gone for a picnic, rule of six and all the other stuff? Yeah, so um, we were doing loads of stuff in the garden and I took it. It was the first thing I picked up to bring out with us because it was so much easier to go and get than move was. Um, and it sat in our garden for the entire day and we've taken it out on a walk with us as well um, just because the kids like listening to the music. So it was it's it's perfect for portability, absolutely perfect. And what don't what don't you like about it? Is there anything that like oh really? Why didn't they get that right? Uh, there's only one thing really, and that's that the rubber the the ends are rubber, but they dent, which really irritates me. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it dents. They just dent slightly. So if you use a nail um, to sort of change the volume, or you accidentally catch it with a the nail, then it it can mark, which I think is a bit of a shame. Um, but I like that the rubber does make it feel very durable. So it's pros and cons, I suppose, in terms of that material. Um, otherwise, no, I didn't think that there was. I didn't. I didn't really find much wrong with it, to be honest. So there are plenty of Bluetooth speakers out there. Do you think this has got enough excitement and enough smarts to be the one that you should pick, or do you think really you're you're paying a little bit more just for that Sonos connectivity? You pay more for the Sonos features, um, but if you are a Sonos owner already, then it it is definitely a no-brainer. Like there's, you might as well get this one because you get all of the same features as other Bluetooth speakers, but you get so much more as well. Um, so if you're a Sonos person already, then definitely don't see why you wouldn't buy this one. If you're not and you are considering investing in the system at any point, then it's definitely a great place to start. Um, it's also perfect because it kind of it can be a Bluetooth speaker, but also it is more than capable of dealing with a decent sized room in your house too. So you're actually getting two for one, really. So I I can't really see a reason why you wouldn't buy it, to be honest. Well, that's it for this week's show. Until next time, pip pip.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 